Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. Remember, On the Brink is designed to help you get off the brink and help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can change it. That may be something you want to do or don't want to do, but I want to bring you people who are going to help you see the world through a very fresh perspective. I'm thrilled today to bring you Mamika Susanna Hyman. Now, Mamika has a great story to tell. I'm going to let her tell you about it. But the question is, how does an entire Jewish community escape the atrocities of Hitler's occupation in 1943 on a small island in Greece? Now, that's sort of a setup for today because she's going to tell you about her own personal discoveries and what she's doing in order to keep our understanding of the atrocities of that period alive and aware so that we don't find ourselves doing them again, even in bullying somebody. A little bit more about Mamika. She was introduced to me by a good friend of mine. She said, you must talk to Mamika. She's doing something quite remarkable, and that she is. She was born in Athens. Now, I was absolutely wonderfully intrigued because I did my research in Athens and in Andiparos. I took my daughters when they were four and five to spend three months learning about Greek women. I went to Basilica. I really love the Greek culture, and I was interested in how it changes when it comes to the United States. She grew up there in Athens and graduated from the high school and then studied linguistics at Tel Aviv University. She immigrated to the United States in 1987. She lives in New York, in Newburgh, New York, with her husband, Barry Hyman. She has a daughter, Sabrina, and a son, Samuel. And they are all very engaged in her new discovery because what she discovered was a little bit by chance, but it has taken her on a journey that you're going to enjoy listening to. Mamika, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Andy. It's such a pleasure. Tell the listeners a good deal more about your own background and this discovery that happened by chance and what happened as a result of it, because all of us go through life and then have an aha moment, an epiphany, and some of us take us in new directions and others take us deeper to where we are. Who is Mamika? What is your journey? I was born in Athens, Greece. In this, I grew up in, in during the 60s. And uh, towards the end of the 60s, the government changed and we had the dictatorship. During the dictatorship, of course, I was a, a little girl. I had no idea. My parents never spoke of politics in the house. And uh, a friend of mine told me one time, we were out walking and she says, you know, we cannot be speaking about the politics because we are not allowed to. Things may happen. And then all of a sudden I said, what things may happen? But it stayed there. Um, at home, as I was growing up, I had my grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, my father, my mother. Um, life was very simple, very beautiful. Never spoken about what this generation had gone through. Not a word about the Holocaust. I remember specifically Mrs. Esther was my grandmother's friend. And Mrs. Esther had a number on her arm. And I would tell my grandmother, why does Esther have a number written on her arm? And my grandmother would say, oh, you don't know what she went through. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Something happened. I can't tell you. And this is where it, it would end. My grandmother would never speak about it. So I figured I wasn't supposed to ask anymore. 
my generation, it's not only me and my brothers. It was the entire generation, the second generation post-Holocaust. We grew up with an immense amount of love, an immense amount of protection uh, from the family. And we never knew why. We thought that every child in the world was being brought up like that. We, we didn't know why. why. Why? As we grew up, we realized that there was a, a, a stronger love towards us. We felt special. When I went to the, to the to Tel Aviv University and I met other people my age, I realized that they grew up, they had grown up the same way. They felt special. My friend Jose from Spain, my friend Carla from Brazil, from Iran, I had friends from Turkey, from all over. Our generation had something in common. We were special and we didn't know how it happened, why. <laughs> my father was very traditional in his Judaism. So traditional that on the high holidays, we were not allowed to turn on and off the light. And this was very strange because the other Jewish people, the other Jewish community, people, members of the Jewish community of Athens, they would allow their kids to turn on and off the lights. My father was very scarred by the Holocaust. He was very influenced, but he never told us why. This is the way he was. And we had to obey. We had to listen because otherwise life was a little miserable at home. <laughs> <laughs> we did, as dad said, um, we had Christian friends, and of course, I went to the um, Jewish elementary school of the Jewish community of Athens, and then I went to the American high school, and there I met a lot of other Christian classmates, friends. In the elementary school, everybody was Jewish, but in the high school, it was I was the, the minority. And actually, it was wonderful because during the lesson of religion, uh, the Jewish kids and one Catholic, we were allowed to leave the classroom, go to the <laughs> library and focus on her homework. <laughs> so that was the bonus of being Jewish. Having said that, my name, Mimika, is not my true name. This is my Hollywood name. This is the name that everybody knew me by. Everybody was calling me that. And it wasn't only me. It was all the Jewish kids of my generation. We had our Hebrew names on our documents, on our diplomas, on our IDs, on our bank accounts, on everything else. But for everyday life, we were called Mimika, Solomon was called Sony, David was called Vikos, etc., etc., etc. My father, Menachem Moses, was called Armando. Wow. My uncle Elkana was called Nulis. So we had the names that were the everyday names. When I came to America, I said, oh, well, you know, this is my Hollywood name because everybody signs a check to me, Mimika Hyman. And, and, and the bank looks at my papers and says, this is Simcha Hyman. And I said, yes, Mimika is my Hollywood name. <laughs> it, it does cause a little bit of a problem but what can I do and then of course I tell them you know I'm a Greek Jew and this is what we do because anti-Semitism in Greece is still quite high during the Holocaust Greece lost 87% of the Jews so the story that I am engaged with which is the story of my father 
and the Jewish community of the island of Zakynthos is a very unique story. It's a story of a mayor, a priest, and the people of the island of Zakynthos saving the entire Jewish community of the island, saving 275 people and breathing life to the generations that followed. I am here, my kids, my brothers, my niece, my nephews, we are here because of that act. Yeah, that's the dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't know about the story. Life continued. We kept our traditions. We had our seders and we had going to the synagogue every high holiday and Passover. And then I decided to go and study in Tel Aviv. And my mother told me, look, every Wednesday, you're going to find a public phone and you are going to call me collect so that I know that you are well. Because, of course, there were no cell phones in those days. The dormitories of Tel Aviv University did not have phones in the rooms of the students. So I had found a very nice cell phone. I made sure that I had a simonim because those were the coins that we would put in the phones in those days. And every Wednesday, I was going to that cell phone, calling my mother to tell her that I am alive, I am well. One Wednesday, my mother tells me, don't call me next week because we're not going to be here. It was winter time. So where are you going? My parents rarely left Athens. Oh, we are going to Zakynthos. Why are you going? It's winter time. Zakynthos was a summer destination, a beautiful island with the Careta Careta uh, turtles that chose that island to give birth and, and expansive, you know, Greenpeace was protecting the, the beaches there. So we, you are not allowed to speak loudly. You're not allowed to speak at all. Don't disturb the turtles. But everything was happening in the summertime. Here, my parents are going in the wintertime. Oh, we are going to honor a, a priest and a mayor. I was brought up so Jewish that I wasn't even allowed to speak to a normal Christian. <laughs> Here, they are going to honor a priest. Something is not right. Something was very, very different. And I said, Dad is going to honor a priest? <laughs> well, don't you know the story? I said, what story? And she told me the story. She told me the story that I, I had never heard before. I didn't know. Um, 1941, the Italians had invaded the island of Zakynthos. During the Italian occupation, the people of Zakynthos were living in fear, as did everybody. But the Italians were not very aggressive. 1943, the Germans come into the island. They sent the Italians away. And the next morning, Officer Behrens calls Mayor Lucas Carrer and tells him, I want the list with the Jews of the island. Be very careful, because the next time it will be my gun that will speak instead of my mouth. Yeah. Mayor Lucas Carrer said, okay, tomorrow you will have the list. He goes away. He speaks to the Metropolitan Chrysostomos Dimitriou. They call the rabbi. And they decide overnight to tell the Jews of the island to leave their homes overnight and go hide in the mountains. They tell the locals, protect them and don't give them away. 
My grandmother, she was the daughter of a merchant and her hobby was jewelry. I must say that in those days, up until today, there was no stock market. So jewelry was not only given as a form of beauty and durability because of the gold or the silver metal that they were made of. It was also given as a form of investment Mm -hmm. because women were not allowed to work. So they went from the house of the father to the house of the future husband or the husband. So all they had were the jewelry. If they would find themselves in need, they would exchange jewelry towards whatever the need was. She took a pouch, my grandmother, put all her jewelry inside, tied it around her waist, threw a long skirt over it, and she went hiding in the mountains with the rest of the family. For an entire year, they lived through selling the jewelry or exchanging the jewelry towards satisfying their daily needs. The locals that were hiding them were very good to them. They would even bring them some bread or or food or, or whatever they could, because don't forget, there wasn't a lot of food in those days. But still, they did what they could. The next morning, Mayor Lucas Carrer and Bishop Chrysostomos Dimitriou, they find themselves in front of the German officer with a list. On the list, there were two names written in German and in Greek. Mayor Lucas Carrer, Metropolitan Chrysostomos Dimitriou. Take us. The Jews are part of our followers. They have done no harm. They will never do any harm. This is our decision. Through further negotiations, they were able to save 275 Jews. My father, my grandmother, my uncle were part of that Jewish community. At this point, I must point out that at the neighboring island of Corfu, which also had a much more vibrant and more um, affluent Jewish community lost 95% of the Jews. The locals handed the Jews to the Germans. I remember when I was writing my speech, actually, I should tell you how I started doing speeches about this uh, story. Please. Um, in the year 2000, I was expecting my son. And all of a sudden, my aunt and my mother called me up oh, there is a documentary being done and your uncle is part of the documentary and he's becoming a star. And I, well, I said, send me a copy. Yes, yes, we will send you a copy. I never saw a copy. The documentary is traveling around Europe. It went to Switzerland and it went to France and it went here and it went there and it went there. Well, send me a copy. Yes, yes, we will send you a copy. I never saw a copy. Life continued in America, and one evening I get a call from a friend across the river, George Petrakis. He lived in Poughkeepsie, and he tells me, Mimika, turn on the Earth satellite TV. There are some Jewish ladies that are speaking. You may know them. Now, of course, Greece, having lost 87% of the Jews, was left with 5,000 Jews. (laughs) When I left Greece, it was 4,999. 
<laughs> the Jews that were left there. You may know those ladies. So I turn on the TV and I see those ladies and they did look very familiar to me. And all of a sudden, here is my uncle sitting in his living room, having all those photographs of the mantle of his uh, fireplace. One of them actually was on of my wedding. And he's thinking, I said, oh my God, this must be the documentary about the story of the Jewish community of Zakindos during World War II. So I told Sabrina and Samuel, please take your negotiations to the other room because I really have to watch this. And the more I'm watching, here are some cousins from Corfu survivors, and here are other people that I knew from the Jewish community of Zakindos. And all of a sudden, tears come down my face. And my husband came with a box of tissues and he sat quietly next to me on the sofa. When the documentary ended, I had an outpour of expressions and feelings. I went in front of the computer and I started writing an email to all my friends. That email traveled. And all of a sudden, I'm getting responses from people I had never even met. And one of the responses was from a couple that were born and raised in the island of Zakynthos. They were diplomats, and at the time they were serving as the Greek uh, consular in uh, Montreal. His name is Harry, Harry Manesis. And Effie Pilarino is his wife. During past the Passover vacation, we took the kids and we went to Montreal. We met with them, and Harry, and I told Harry, I, I told both of them actually, you know, I started doing these presentations and people are interested. And Harry turns to me and says, Mimika, take a piece of paper and write down every presentation that you do, because the day will come that you will not remember yes. how many presentations you have done. And thank God that I listened to him, because I am at this point that I don't remember how many I've done if I don't look at the paper. <laughs> that winter time. When Greece celebrate, I mean, commemorates the Holocaust of the Jewish com community, uh, the Greek consulate of Manhattan was showing this film, The Song of Life by Tony Likouresis. And of course, I went because I always want to support anything that has to do with the Jewish community of Greece and Athens, especially. And they asked me to speak. And I spoke, and my husband says, people were crying. I said, was I that bad? <laughs> he says, no, I think you touch them. You touch their feelings. It is very rare that adults will tear. I said, okay, that's nice. And then I was invited to speak to the second annual uh, Greek film festival uh, in Manhattan. And I went to speak. And of course, my son was six years old at the time, and he was very attached to me. And I remember in that uh, event, they showed first the movie, which was an hour and 10 or 15 minutes. That's how much the Song of Life is. And I was drawing all kinds of little animals for my son on the back of my speech. So when I got up to speak and I had my, my speech, the audience could see all the little uh, turtles and, and rabbits <laughs> and elephants that I had drawn. But uh, it was very interesting. In every presentation that I have done, something happens mm -hmm. that makes me remember the presentation. In this one, I remember the 
people were were lining up around the block. It was at the village cinema down in uh, the village. And my husband says, Mimika, you have to speak to this gentleman. And of course, I have to tell you, when I went to that first actual presentation, I brought with me Mrs. Anna Yanakis, that has the Greek Lazionette in Newburgh. I brought with me the Fundus couple that they had the hairdressers. I brought with me George Petrakis, my kids, my, my husband. So I had all my close friends that supported what I was about to do. They came with me down to Manhattan. So my husband finds a, a man and says, Mimika, you have to speak to this man. And I go, I was a gentleman with a long coat. And he opens his jacket and he brings out a photograph and he says, Mimika, look at this photograph. Is this your father? I look at him and I said, no. He says, this is my father. And they were friends. Are you sure this is not your father? I said, no, but I know who you are. Ah. You are Jeff Mordos. Our fathers were friends. You came to Zakynthos back in 1967, 68. You were from America, you spoke English. I couldn't believe how you spoke your Greek. You had an accent and da-da-da. He just couldn't believe I, I, I knew who he was. It was, And we've stayed friends ever since. Um, I remember my mother telling me, Mimika, you have a husband that works from five to nine. You have two small kids. What do you need this for? I wasn't doing it for the money. And that was a little bit discouraging. And then I sat back and I said, the story must be told Mm -hmm. because it's a story with a lot of messages. First of all, it is the only story in the European Holocaust um, selection of stories that you have the state, the church and the people work together towards a successful result. Yes. The Jews were hidden by monasteries by families, by individuals, by organizations. But here, having such a collaboration of the state, the church, and the people to work together and have a successful result, it's it's unheard of. And that to me, it gave me a reason to get up and speak. When I speak to high schools, and usually, I speak to the 12th grade. I tell them, now that you are about to graduate and your life will change, make sure you pick your leaders well because these people listen to their leaders. Keep your friendships because it's the friends and the neighbors that hid the Jews, protected them and saved them. I tell them, Listen to what goes on around you in the university because Metropolitan Chrysostomus Dimitriou had befriended Hitler at the Munich University when he was a student. Ah. I will never forget that my uncle and my father told me that the people of Zakynthus knew of what was going on in other parts of the world. They knew how the Jews were being burned dead or alive, mass graves, executions, etc. I mean, not to forget all the experiments that were done, and we have all this beautiful medicine today. They even told me that one day there was a truck that came to the island of Zakynos with soap. 
And they saw that the truck had come from Germany. And they took the soap and they buried it. Because they knew it was the body of a Jewish person. A friend asked me, Mimika, how did the people of Zakynthos knew that the Germans were killing the Jews? Here we know that in other parts of Europe, the Jews, like flocks, they were going to the center square of their town. They went in the trains, they went in the trucks, they went in the boats. If they knew they were walking towards their death, they would have reacted. How come the, the, the people of Zagitos knew and they protected them? I said, that's a good question. So I go back to my uncle and my father. And my uncle tells me the following story. And this is a story where I, I alert the students of high schools. And I said, this is where you come in. The family in downtown Zakynthos, they had a, that had the pharmacy, had a son. The son went to study medicine in Germany. During the summer vacation, the boy came home and told them what was going on. And of course, the parents spread the bad news to the rest of the island. Mm. So when you go to the universities, keep your eyes and ears open. See what's going on around you. You are not invisible. You are very important and you matter. These are the messages that I want to pass to the people that hear my speeches. Kindness, respect for human rights are more contagious than hatred and destruction. And that's what we should aim for. My father told me that one time the Germans had put him on the line to impose forced labor onto him and other people. The Christians were going in front of my father, directing him towards the end of the line, trying to avoid contact with the German officers that were in the front of the line and were dispersing people to work. This is an unbelievable act of kindness. The sister of Metropolitan Chrysostomos Dimitriou, Mrs. Vasiliki Stravolem, was the head of the home economics school in the island. I have to point out that this was the only university for women in those days. She had some Jewish students and they got sick and they needed medical attention. And she had to bring them to a doctor. Now, the only facility for medical care was the German military hospital. What was she going to do? She takes the girls, she finds herself in front of the German doctor and says, I bring to you these girls as patients and not as Jews. Wow. I expect you to remember that you gave the oath of Hippocrates when you became a doctor and treat them. The German doctor treated them and on the way out, he told her, medicine is a science and awaits patients, which was wonderful. I mean, she, she did everything. Yes that she was supposed to do. She was gutsy and, and strong, and she really helped. Um, my father tells me a story. He says, uh, when we were hiding in the village of Gaitani at the Sarakini family, they had a little black dog. 
And one day, my father was in one of those rooms of the house. And a soldier comes into the house looking for men to put them to forced labor. And the dog starts barking. I mean, as the soldier is looking in the rooms, he's quiet, first, second, third room, starts barking at the soldier when, when he was about to enter the room where my father was hiding. He made so much noise that drove the soldier away. My father tells me, you know, that dog that day saved my life. Yes. Even the pets were protecting the Jews in that island. <laughs> but I must tell you, my father never allowed uh, pets in the house. He was allergic or I don't know how to explain this. He was too clean. But every time that we had a meal, he would take the leftovers for the stray dogs and the stray cats. I think this was something that stayed with him all his life. There were other stories. But I think I've told you the most part, the biggest part of my journey. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. Is there anything that you can remember, Andy, that I should mention? No, I'm listening here as I'm sure our listeners and viewers are listening. Um, because remember, when you tell a story, the story in somebody's mind begins to change. You know, and so last night before our podcast today, I watched Song of Life by Tony Licorisis. It is available on YouTube. It's about an hour. It is transformative. The people in it are like Mamika's uncle. Um, I just to tell you their story. You will never know the story. We're never going to go back to the past, but the past sets the stage for the future. And what Mamika is 
communicating to us is this amazing place where people came together in a very unusual way to save others and to give them love. One of the scenes in there is one of the gentlemen goes back to the village where he was being cared for. And the woman is crying and she is hugging him. And then at the end of the video is really brings tears to your eyes because they're all together around the table. Nothing better than breaking bread together and the music and they're singing. And uh, the singing of the songs remind us that we are all one in a fashion that brings us back to love each other. Mamika, you're smiling at me. I, I have to tell you about that specific scene when Samuel goes to Mrs. Rapsomanik, they used to, when they would hear that Germans were coming, they would leave the baby with her <laughs> and go hiding somewhere else. And it, it was an unbelievable scene to see her alive and well, to come out of her house and hug each other. You know, they were more than family, these people. But what was interesting to me is, you know, when I was growing up in my generation, we cared about what we looked like. We cared about, um, oh, what face cream to put, to go to the gym, to look good. To I mean, before we do anything in our daily lives, we always cared about what did we look and the hair and the this and the jewelry. And, da, 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 da. and here is a giant of a hero coming out with just a plain dress. She was a little heavy. She didn't care about the gym. She didn't care about the fashion. She didn't care about going to the hairdresser. She didn't care about her looks. Yet here is a hero, a true life hero. Yep. So I remember specifically, I was at a school where all the girls looked alike. And they had the long hair and they had the similar outfits and so on. And it was clear to me that this was done with a lot of attention to the looks. And I said, now, look at this woman. Do you see this woman? She saved an entire family. Do you think she goes to the gym? No. Do you think she goes to Bloomingdale's to buy clothes? No. Do you think she goes to the hairdresser to have a beautiful hair? Do you think she does makeup? No. Yet she is the biggest hero in her own right. Yes. You know, so it was very interesting that you were impressed by the same part of the movie that I was. Well, also, I have to say, I, this is very important, that when everything ended, my father and my uncle and all the other Jews of the island donated the windows and their personal labor for the St. Dionysius Cathedral. I have to say that in Greece, uh, the main religion is Greek Orthodox. And in Greek Orthodoxism, there are a lot of saints. So every island has a saint that is the protector of the island. Zakynthos has Saint Dionysius. And this was the cathedral that was being erected. And uh, when it came to finding uh, proposals about the, the windows, the Jews went and said, this is our expense. We will do it as a give back because of our gratitude to our saviors. Another thing that was very interesting to me is that, and this is a very touching moment. Uh, in 1953, there was a massive earthquake. 
that leveled the island. And that's when the Jewish community left the island. Part of the Jewish community went to Zakynthos and part of it went to Athens. My family decided to go to Athens. The first boats that arrived in the island with humanitarian and medical help were the ones of the Israeli Navy. And it's very interesting because now we could give back. Yes. Up and up until then, we were guests. And nobody wants a guest to stay on their premises forever. Yes. It's very touching for me. But, you know, looking back at the summers that I spent in the island, the people that I met didn't know about the story. No. And I usually finish my speech by saying, uh, but I didn't know them. While I was enjoying everything that the island had to offer, the beautiful beaches, the beautiful weather, the beautiful restaurants where the, the, the waiters throw away the apron and get their guitars and they start singing to you the, the very traditional Zakynthinian songs, the cantadas. Yeah. I didn't know that I, had, I was brought to the safest place on earth yes. that a Jew could have been brought to. Mamika. Life continues. It does. And, and, and the people of Zakynthus, some of them still don't know the story. Yes. But slowly, slowly they will learn it. Here's what I'd like to do, because part of the, um, the joy that you're bringing in sharing this is inspiring younger people and people like ourselves to not simply accept what is, but to understand the role we can play through kindness, through courage, through boldness to change. And I must tell you that the world isn't easy right now, and giving back is very important, and kindness. You have to remember that acts of kindness improve your own sense of well-being in ways that are difficult to truly understand. You too can do things that are going to make someone else's life really beautiful. And what Mamika is doing is taking this story, in part her story, in part the larger story, and making it come alive so others can, in fact, both understand it, learn from it, and then look at their own lives and make sure that they too can do something meaningful, moral, ethical, and kind. And Mamika, last thoughts as we wrap up, because I think this has been a beautiful opportunity. You did not read your speech, but you told it from your heart, and I just loved it. Any last thoughts for the listener? Yes. Um, I think that this story should be told everywhere, especially in Holocaust classes and young adults. Uh, we teach Holocaust to our schools, and they have to learn about the atrocities that happened and the more or less genocide that the Jewish people underwent. Uh, but also, they have to learn about a happy story. And this is a happy story. Yes. To me, it's very important to direct the young people towards doing good. Yes. Not only showing them how horrible other people behave, but how beautiful life can be by doing good. Love and carriage for each other. Yes. Yes. And love does. Um, this is truly a beautiful story. I will tell the listeners that in the um, blog post and on the video, I'll have the link to Song of Life, and I urge you to watch it. 
Um, it, it is it captivates you, and you cannot leave it until it's over. And then you want to know what has happened next. And so, Mamika, we'll bring you back at another time to talk about the impact you're having on those students, the stories they're bringing you. And I urge our listeners to send us your stories. I'm going to wrap up now because I think it's time for us to let our listeners move on. Here's what I'd like you to do. Info at andysimon.com is where you can get information about both Mamika and about our work. And I'd like to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. This certainly has been a transformative interview. Our podcast is just beautiful. And when you watch it, you're going to be engaged with Mamika as if she's standing in front of you. Invite her. Invite her to come. I promise you we'll have all her information there so that you can find her as well and take a look at her website. She'll tell you about the Jewish Museum she set up at the temple, all kinds of things that she's doing to make this world come alive for people who are Jewish and not Jewish together, because it isn't just one or the other. It's together we can do better. And I want to say goodbye and thank you all for coming. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Andy.